Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and Whatever it is. <laughs> the worst titty discs. <laughs> get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another protocol-rific, astromech-tastic episode of Fanholes Comics, motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up guys, this is Derek, Derek WC, I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and tonight with me I have, I'm privileged to have a very special guest joining me on this episode, we have Scott Rifen of Dinner for Geeks here with us, hey, what's up Scott, thanks for being here. Do we even comic? That's the question. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, hey, thanks for inviting me on, man. I, this is uh, this is going to be very, very cool. This is stuff that you and I both like to talk about, and we both never get to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely feel that way. Like, I think, I think the reason why I specifically asked you to come on this episode is tonight we're going to be talking about three star comics from, like, the Marvel imprint line from Star Wars droids, and I bought, like, all of these off the, the spinner rack. Like, I remember getting them from Safeway, like, off, and it wasn't, it's one of those things, yeah. like, I say spinner rack, but it's, like, one of those things where they had, like, the the rack that was leaning up against the wall, kind of like a newsprint rack, yes. you know, and everything like that. Yes. And and that's yes. that's how the Safeway was set up and everything. So I, I specifically somehow, like, like, I think this is, like, a rarity for me as well because a lot of the times, like, I would go there and, like, my, my Man of Steel, for instance, it was like I had one, I had three, I had four, I had five, mm. but I was always, like, missing two and six because I didn't know about you know, comic specialty shops, and they kind of escaped me. So I had, like, these partial sets of miniseries, which was always, like, you know, you, you it was always to your chagrin and everything that you didn't have the complete set. But with this somehow, I, I guess I was lucky enough, or maybe because it had, like, this bi-monthly schedule, maybe I just landed on yeah. all the right months or whatever, because, like, I remember I did manage to get, you know, six, seven, and eight, and it was kind of like, it's, you know, retelling the story of Star Wars, and I was like, oh, cool, and so I, I remember getting issue six, and then somehow I magically actually didn't miss any issues and got seven and eight, and I, I guess to the point, like, I, I always feel like every time I hear you talk, like, you are what I would consider a uh, Star Wars friendly individual to the point where if you if you threw <laughs> if you threw a a dart at the dartboard and hit any Star Star Wars topic like 
odds are 99% of the time you're going to find a topic that you enjoy talking about. See, I can't, the, the problem is I, I can't say the same for myself and I can't say the same for the topics that I like and the topics that maybe other people like to talk about. So it's like you're throwing two darts and they don't, they don't hit together or whatever. But like for me, I'm like, you know, to, to speak to droids, it's like if you hit like fall Jobin on the dartboard, I'd be like, woohoo, like, yay, I want to talk about that guy. Like, he's he's one of my favorite expanded yeah. universe characters and everything. You know, if you hit, like, I don't know, the the recent, well, to me, I say recent, but it's probably a couple of years old now, but that that Marvel Darth Vader series, you know, with, with Triple Zero and everything, like, if you, you know, Dr. Afra, like, if you hit that with the dartboard, I'd be super excited to talk with you about it. But, you know, w- without trying to get into too much, like, dismal things, I'm sure there's other things on the dartboard that you would hit with me where I'm like, I'd screech the brakes and be like, whoa, 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 let's, let's not talk about that. But I feel like, and this could just be my vision or interpretation of, of things, you know, when I see you do like live reviews sometimes, you know, on Facebook or, you know, when you talk about things on, on podcasts and stuff. But it seems like I, I felt confident if I asked you to talk about these issues, I, I would find someone who had joy for them and, and get a favorable response as opposed to, do we have to like kind of thing? Like it's like Derek. Do we have to talk about that? So I I, I wanted it to be somebody who's, who was kind of excited and kind of was 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 you know interested in this kind of material. You know what the one really blind spot you would have hit for me if you'd asked me to do if you'd asked me to come on and have a discussion about? It? I, I have no idea the CCG stuff, the the customizable card game stuff. Oh, okay. See that, that total blind spot for me. Total. I don't even think. I mean, that's like way out. Like. That's not even on the dartboard for me, to be perfectly honest. Like, I don't, I was like, that's like way, that's way, that's like, like hitting somebody in the shoulder, that's playing just, pool. Like, that's way, way, yeah. the, way, the, way the heck off. No, but you know, you know, I do the, the My Star Wars Story podcast, and I kind of have a standard set of questions, and I kind of guide th- people through the timeline. And I've got 20 episodes into it till I was interviewing somebody, and they said, they mentioned those, and I went, holy cow, you know, in all the times I've done, I've never even brought that up. Mm. And it was a big deal to some people. But it just, it, it, uh, if I have a Star Wars blind spot, it's got to be the CCG stuff. Did that experience, like, like open your eyes to it? Is it something that then you wanted to pursue since you knew it was a blind spot? Or is it just something that you nope. thought was, like, interesting <laughs> or whatever, and you kind of moved on? No, you know, yeah, one of the reasons I never really got involved in the CCG stuff is because it's the same reason, you know, we do Disney a lot. And when they first started with the pin trading there, you know what the pin trading is. Is it? Or, or do I you? probably don't. I don't know. I'm not sure. Disney, Disney, they sell these enamel pins. Oh, okay. Okay. You, you you buy them, you put them on, and you can trade them with other people, or cast members will trade with them. Oh, okay. That kind of thing. And when they first started, you know, there were you know, 50 or 100 pins or whatever. And I said, this is really cool. I should do this. And my wife said, no. So why? She goes, because I know you, and this will grow, and you won't stop. So, yeah. I mean, you go to the store now and there's thousands and thousands of, just in stock, there's thousands of different pins and the ones that have gone out of print and so on and so forth. So she was right. And that's kind of the way I am about the CCG stuff. There's just so much of it that I know that I would jump in both feet and probably sink into quicksand. So I just stay away from it because I know it's it's for my own sanity that I never it's, got involved it's, in. It's that rabbit hole you're going to walk the other direction from, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. So. I'll- yeah, I'll tell you what though, I, I'm impressed with your ability to have gotten the the, the droids comics were really hard for me to get the Ewoks 
the droids comics really you, get you know you know what i've learned so so let me yeah. let me let you in on a little little secret like i went through a period in my life where i had a, a number of what i call great purges and so uh, mm-hmm. you know a lot of my physical comic collection was purged a lot of my mm-hmm. toy collection was purged and th- this was not it wasn't like i was in dire straits or anything this was this was something that was you know typically usually my own decision and everything and then at certain yeah. points when i when i you know was at a different place in life where i was kind of like okay you know like maybe i i will you know reindulge in this rabbit hole or, or what have you like one of those things for me was the the DC Universe Classics line, like I kept looking at it and admiring it and all this other stuff, and I was kind of like, if you if you listen to our early episodes of the podcast, everybody else collects toys, and I'm like, I used to collect toys, I purged them all, I'm not collecting them anymore, <laughs> and you know, somewhere in like I don't know the 50s or the hundreds, by that point, I'm like, hey, guess what, guys, I bought like a new action figure, or whatever. you know, like, and so so it's like I, that was a rabbit hole I, I dove into, you know, feet first or or, or whatever, and what I noticed is. With the the Star Comics, like, I basically made a list of, like, oh, this is, you know, it's sort of from my memory or whatever, but my notion was I went out, I bought an actual old school comic book spinner rack and so for me to yes. to find my joy basically it was like oh well what i'm gonna do is instead of just because originally i was like oh well i you know since i've been buying all these action figures it was like from the dc superheroes and marvel legends they come with these like kind of reprint comics and for a little while i had the reprint comics on there and then i think some of my other buddies got spinner racks and i was like well i'll send you these reprint comics and my thought was i'm gonna make a list of the comics i had as a kid that came from Safeway, from 7-Eleven, from Quick Stop, whatever. That's that's kind of some of the hidden mandate of this show, where I, I try to recall and come up with those and everything. And sure enough, like I said, Droids 6, 7, and 8 were comics that I got from Safeway. And what I didn't realize is there are still comics that I got from the Spinner Rack that are missing from my Spinner Rack, right? They, that, that were part of the original Ooh. Great Purge, and I, I try to reacquire them. And man, I'll be I'll yeah. be damned if I'm going to get like some of these star masters of the universe comics or whatever. Like, like, cause, cause like you said, this, this, mm-hmm. these last couple issues, because the, the book was about to get canceled, they didn't print as many and yep. there aren't as many that exist. And so like, there's this like, almost like whatever happened to the, the, what is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow version of He Man? That's like the last two oh, issues, yeah. and it's like twelve and thirteen. And I, you know, I love that story. I read it off the spinner rack and everything. But it's like if you look now and try to, I don't know, go on, you know, Sleaze Bay or, or wherever you're going to go to get, you know, even even even, you know, reputable places like my comic shop or something like that, and go, hey, I, I want a copy of this, like. At the bare minimum, like a good copy is going to be like thirty or forty-five bucks, and like mint copies or CGC copies are going into like you know, eighty, hundred, like like crazy ass like prices and everything. So again, I did manage to reacquire six, seven, and eight for the spinner rack, mm. and and they weren't they weren't that bank breaking. But I understand what you're saying about like like how did you you know, how did you stumble? And, and at the time as a kid, like I, you know, to me, like, I think when I got these, I was probably like nine or 10 or something like that. Like, I don't, I don't think I had any concept of that. These were rare or whatever. Like typically I think even yeah. when I found comic specialty shops, like the, the spinner rack stuff was a way to like, cause it was sort of delayed by a month cause they kept them all on there. So I, I mean, I specifically remember things like I missed, the first appearance of Cable in New Mutants at the comic shop because it was sold out. But I was able to go to a 7-Eleven and get a copy. 
because they yes. didn't know, you know, they didn't know it was super hot or whatever no. and stuff like that. And by that point, you were kind of you were kind of in on the I don't know the 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 shop talk or the the scuttlebutt of 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 you know what's rare and what's hot and all this kind of you know kind of I don't know stuff that I I feel like is is inconsequential now. It's just I I yeah. want these because of because of a different kind of love and I'm not, I'm not slabbing them. I'm not really honestly, like it's funny now when I get comics, I take them out of the back and stick them on that spinner rack and I don't care if they get banged up. Like, it's like one of those things where it's just like, I, I, I enjoy looking at them the way I obtain them, I guess. Like, I know that's kind of weird, but that's, that's just kind of my, no, my thing or whatever. And, and no, 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 because, because this fascinates me because, I too have a spinner rack. Oh, okay. Okay. And I was just going to ask you exactly. So you put stuff on there, not bagged and boarded as do I, but what are your criteria for putting something on the spinner rack? So th- this is cause, cause usually when we have segments on this show, I, I all subtitle them like stories from the spinner rack. And what the, yeah. the mandate that I usually give people is it's, it's not a strict mandate. Like it doesn't have to come off a strict spinner rack, but like basically if you bought it anywhere other than a comic book specialty shop or presumably like, you know, comic convention, like, you know, direct market type things like that. That's kind of my, my cutoff, but everything else I kind of, I I feel like I kind of, I kind of fib with some things that go on the spitter rack. Cause it's like some stuff like this, for Uh instance, I definitely got from Safeway. A lot of the other comics that I've referred to on those spinner rack episodes, they came from quick stop. They came from seven 11 toys R us in the three packs. They came from, you know, those bagged comics or whatever, but then some stuff I think, are the ones I consider sort of fibs is there's stuff I put on the spinner rack because I got them in trades with a friend Yeah, and they didn't come from a store, but I still sort of considered them like that spinner rack era of comics. And then, and then there's also like, there were things where I got care packages from my aunt. So like, you know, these, these either miniseries I love or hate, I I love magic and Mm -hmm. and the four issues of that were in a care package. Yeah. 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 And so, so that was in a care package and that's like, to me, a spinner rack thing. Yeah. And then, and then like, uh, you know, a series that I, I, I don't care for too much, or at least I, I take great joy in making fun of the character because of this mini series is Jack of Hearts and that those four <laughs> issues were also in, in that. So it's like, it's like, I have a love for it and Jack of Hearts is on the spinner yeah. rack and, and magic is on the spinner rack there. But like I say, I, I kind of feel like sometimes those are, those are slight Fibs, like the, the the ones I got in trades or the ones that came in care packages from like relatives. Like I, I don't consider those from the direct market, but as long as it didn't come from the direct market, I figure it's fair game. Like if you, you know, if you got it from a flea market or if you got it, like uh, what, what my friend Justin commonly says, and I, I'm not even familiar with this store, but now it's part of my vernacular. He's like, Oh, I went to the Piggly Wiggly and got some comics. Yes. And it's kind of like, Oh, okay. So that's, that's how he got a lot of his comics, right? So it's sure. like, oh, okay, cool. Like that's that that's a qualifier. Like to me, that's that's what belongs on on these spinner racks. But I, I know people do it differently. I've seen some people they get the spinner racks and they're like all bagged up and yeah. stuff. And like no, yeah. I, I'm with you. I'll tell you when I first got my how how'd you get yours? Now I'm now I'm curious. So so this one I uh, it was like I was looking for one for a while and what I found was th- this one actually got shipped to me. I was really trying to find something locally like I'd go on like, you know, 
Facebook marketplace yeah. or different like local Craigslist or something thinking maybe I could just pick one up or something. But eventually I saw one that was on eBay and, and it, it was just in like a good enough price range where even though the shipping was exorbitant because of what it was like the price itself, like if you kind of combined it together, I was like, you know what, that's, that's doable. I can handle that. And I got it. It was like super rickety and squeaky at first, but we put some like WD 40 on it. And then all of a sudden it, you know, spun like a champ. And I was like, okay, this is great. Like, you know, so, and then, you know, I've had it, you know, pretty much ever since then. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I got mine, the store that I used to shop at when I was a kid went out of business. Oh, okay. And I'd known them forever because I was in that store buying books and comics since I was probably five or six. And so they were having a going out of business sale. And then one day, right at the end of all of it, they called me at home and said, hey, we got this spinner rack for these comics. Are you interested? And I said, uh, 20 bucks? And they said, sure. And so I drove down. And, wow. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And so the, the one in my office is the one that I shopped off of when I was a kid. I mean, I, I bought a lot that's... of these old Star Wars books from that rack. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, you, you, the only the only, I, I I don't upgrade the one I have, but you you know if if I had my dithers and I could find one, which I probably can't. The other thing, if I if I had to get a second one, I I would really love the the Walden book style spinner oh, the rack, big plastic like that ones. plastic thing with like yes. the the glass and everything. Like yeah. I would I, that that would if I could you know cue myself uh, one of those and just zap it in my room. I would totally yes. do that too. Cause, See, cause, cause Walden books also is a, is a qualifier for me. If I, if I got it from a Walden books, like I'm like, that counts. Yeah, you know? Absolutely. Now I'm looking at your spinner rack right now. This is great. This is awesome. And cool. and it's, you know, when I first got, got mine, it was kind of the same thing. I was like, I don't want to put bagged and boarded comics on, mm. on the rack. Mm. It just doesn't make any sense. So the first thing I did, I had a, like an overflow of trade, and I said, well, I'll put the trades on there. And it just it just didn't look right. So I went to a couple of cons and just bought a bunch of really old stuff out of the dollar bin. Hmm. Uh, I don't know where Professor Allen finds a quarter bin these days, but because I can't find they, it. Well, they're, they're, uh, <laughs> let me let me let you know another secret. There there are no quarter bins in California. They don't yeah, exist. Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? Even in Georgia, we don't have quarter bins. <laughs> but the dollar bins, I would go and I. I bought a bunch of old, you know, 70 stuff. And so that's what I've, I've dumped into mine. But my mission is to kind of go back. I started thinking about this a couple of months ago. My, my mission is to go find a bunch of old beater Marvel Star Wars and fill it up with that. Oh, you know what? You know, it's great. Cause, What's that? Because those the, like the, the the even though legitimately like see, this is the fib part, like l- legit. Like droids six through eight, I got from a Safeway. Legit, the the Empire Marvel Treasury, I I got from like an airport or something, I think, or whatever. And then you know what I did with it? I loved it so much. This is my love because I think I was like three years old or something. I I cut Luke out of the weather vane, and I the 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 room that's right across the way from me, I would cut out images of like Luke and everything, and I taped them to my wall like because that was my i don't know like that was my little kid mind where i loved the art so much i didn't want it in the book like i wanted to just see it or whatever so that basically that's what happened to that comic but legit like like i did i did get that comic Mm -hmm. and everything right but then the the trade stuff like like speaking of like last issue in a run that's like a gajillion dollars now or whatever is like like I, I got a few. Like I have the the Star Wars one on the spinner rack for the the cover with the Empire Strikes Back, but it's like 
issue what is 39 or 19 oh the empire strikes. no no not empire not that strikes. yeah the empire strikes yeah, 18, yeah, yeah. That, yeah that one right yep. 18 right yep. and then i've got 88 because it's lumia or yep. whatever and that was in a trade and then the the one that's missing from the the i guess the trifecta or whatever is i got 107 in a trade and like that one to try and by yeah, now, I'd probably luck. have to drop at least like 30 or 40 bucks. I, uh, I mean, at the very least. Yeah, that's yeah, that so. is my real difficulty is that used to be many years ago, you could find beater copies of Marvel Star Wars everywhere. And now yeah, yeah. the beaters are five bucks. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going yeah, to pay yeah. that to fill this thing up with just beat up copies. I see your choice must be a replacement. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because it's a you got a direct copy now. Yeah, all, all of these are okay. replacements. They all have the, they, they don't have the, um, UPC or whatever. Like, I guess, I guess that's not, I mean, I, I don't think like, I, I haven't been that granular about it. Like I, I haven't turned down a good deal no, on a comic. If it not. doesn't have a UPC code, I just kind of, it's like, Oh, if you know, like some of these, like, because you know, what surprised me is uh, uh, some of my spinner rack comics are the, the, uh, 90s guardians of the galaxy comics but then because the the movies came out like a lot of those are more expensive now at least some of the early issues and and then i i did manage i think it was at heroes con but i i I stumbled upon like a dollar bin and i got like two three and four and i was like oh awesome cool like because they're on my list and i was expecting to have to pay like you know 15 or 10 bucks for them or something like that and i was like no no this is great like so like that that worked out and and whether they had upcs or not i was like this is a deal like i'm i'm gonna gonna snag these or whatever no yeah yeah. i mean the direct the the thing is like the the store that i bought at the the spinner rack that i got they originally when they opened did the regular newsstand with the box and the upcs but eventually they started ordering from diamond so i bought a bunch of direct books off my spinner rack that's it's not a you know it's not an unusual thing i think you're good well i guess i guess i guess like if you bought things from walden books too right because i that, yeah. that was something that confused me at first because i was like sitting there going well wait a minute like if this was a direct market book how did i get it off the spinner rack. And I, I think w- what I finally realized was I was like, you know, I probably got this from a Walden books and mm-hmm. that's why I had it. And even though, even though to me, I was like thinking of it logistically, I was like, well, why would a direct market book be a spinner rack comic? Mm-hmm. But I, I think the way I've figured it out, you know, trying to remember, cause I, I don't have this eidetic Michael Bailey memory or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't remember like what I was drinking when I bought the, the comic. There. So it's like, yeah. I have to like go back and look at stuff. And then, and then when I'm like going through my research, I was like, Oh, I bet you it was Wald. You know, like, like to me, I'm like, Oh, I get it. Like, cause Walden books did get like mature reader comics and, and, and like, you know, I guess things of that nature. So I was like, Oh, well then that would make sense. Like, so I'm thinking maybe that's where I got it from. Okay. Well, I, you know, it's interesting though, cause our Walden books here never got, never got dirty. Direct stuff. They only got newsstand stuff. Okay. Okay. So, but that's... it was just something. Yeah, that was something like I read online. So I yeah. I don't know if it's well, true sure or not. It, but, it but, is, but 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 when regional. Yeah. Yeah. Because when when I read that, I was like, well, maybe that's why. You know, like because because that that was something that you know I it's like unless you know of course my memory could be faulty. It's like I could sometimes I question like I'm like did I really get that from the spinner rack? But you know some sometimes I I've made my lists and. I'm kind of like uh, I'm pretty sure they're accurate. I mean, things like yeah. like Mike's Amazing World like helps with stuff like oh, that. Oh sure. You, you go down that rabbit hole and you're like <sighs> you've got the agenda of like which one of these do I recognize and mm. and and does it make sense that I would have gotten it off a of yeah. spinner rack? You know, well, that's, because of the dates know, or whatever. It's funny the Walden books thing is kind of the opposite with 
me if I have a like for for the further adventures of Indiana Jones series. If I have a newsstand copy, I'm pretty certain it came from Walden Books because that was kind of the outlet. Like if I missed everywhere else that was doing direct, Walden Books was like the next step in that era at that time. Hmm. You know, 70s and early 80s were different because all the minute markets had comics at the time. So one one question I was going to drop on you, because I'm pretty sure you've discussed this in detail before, at least in regards to Luke Skywalker. But so I'm, I'm rewatching because I know we we're going to be talking about droids <laughs> and, and I found those nice looking copies of the cartoon. Yeah, you did. So I, I, I've been slowly I've been slowly rewatching some of those episodes and everything. So I get to the the Jan Tosh arc and and. I, I then I start looking this up because of the way it ends, and the way it ends basically is you know yay you know Jan gets accepted to the space academy, <laughs> and I'm thinking about it and I'm like wait a minute this is like I'm sure I was like I I know I know Scott's talked about this before I'm like I'm like this is that whole argument of like dude Luke go, was going to join like the Imperial Academy because yeah. what other academy would there be it's not like it's not like there's an academy for like friendly uh dissidents or whatever off in like some other galaxy that, that yeah, are rebelling yeah. there's some academy out there like it has to be the imperial space academy so then then i'm like sitting there going well shit that means jan tosh goes off and joins the imperial space academy mm. i'm like what the whoa like and so that i'm like thinking like that's weird and so then i look it up and this is what i wanted to ask you about because I, I don't know if it's if it's bub kiss or if it's just like something that they, they wrote in some Del Rey character book or whatever. Like, I don't know that I buy it, but so I looked online and on Jan Tosh's bio one, it says, cause he's an orphan and there's no evidence that he was born on whatever planets they were on in the droid cartoon. Mm-hmm. It's like they, somebody retroactively decided he was born on Naboo. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, okay. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, it, like his parents got into some kind of speeder accident, and that's why he's an orphan or whatever. And then I'm reading like, since he's part of the Space Academy, at some point he gets shot and loses the use of his legs. Like, and I was like, where does all that come from? Like, is that is that just a write up somewhere or like? Because I'm like, yeah. when did that happen? It, it, there was there was this thing on StarWars.com called the Droids Reanimated, and it was published in the well. They were making the prequels, you know, right around that time. Okay. And okay. they went in and started, you know, filling in the backstory. And I, that kind of thing kind of bothers me mm. because, you know, when you have stories like that to tell, well, let's tell them in story form instead of just going, oh, by the way, let's backfill all this. So I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the data dumps like they do, but that's what happened is they kind of did this whole thing where droids and, and they did, you know, it was on the blogs and I guess it was a two-parter and they basically went through and said, okay, here's, here's what happened. Here's where everybody came from. Here's, you know, what happened next. Here's when, when everything happened, like the, the Marvel droid series, except for new hope. Uh, apparently the Marvel droid series happened before the TV show and, you know, just all, all that stuff. And I, I'd rather they just tell it all in real stories instead of backfilling it. So, so I mean, essentially, that was just like a a, a text piece, right? Like yeah. That's like some kind of like bio yep. write up where it was like a who's who or a Marvel handbook type yep. thing, right? And they just kind of tacked that onto it, like because they 
they had to fill so many words or something like that, yes, right? So they just exactly, said, "Hey, let's exactly. let's let's have him come from Naboo or whatever." Because luckily, I was like, I was like, they better not have done anything horrible to Thal Jovan. So I went and looked at that real quick, and I was like, "Phew!" He didn't join the academy. He didn't get his loss. He didn't lose his legs, or you know, I'm afraid <laughs> they're gonna be like. And Thal Jovan got his ponytail cut off, and he was he was beat up by a Gamorian guard, and they took his lunch money. And I was like, "Oh man, that's what I was expecting to read or something." And 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 luckily that was that was not. Nice. Okay, so I was I was super happy about that. And then the other thing, this is just the last thing. I just wanted to do one more icebreaker, and we'll we'll get into the issues proper. But so so again, I'm revisiting these episodes, and and what what totally left my my child brain is because it's been a while since I've like seen these in that pristine of condition. Yeah, I was watching The Great Heap. Oh wow! And I'm sitting there going, I have to talk about this because because uh, when am I ever going to get a chance to talk about this ever again? That time R2-D2 gets it on in, like, an oil hot tub with another pink astromech droid. Like, when <laughs> when am I ever going to, like, get a chance to talk about this with somebody and how oh awesome it is? Oh, my goodness. I so forgot about that. <laughs> I'm looking at it, and I'm like, wait, is he... He wait. He's sticking his astromech thing and her astromech thing, and then they go into the, the hot tub, and and they're all beeping at each other, all lovey dovey and stuff. And then she gets refrigerated. Like they, I think she turns like into like a gold droid or something. The bad guy gets her or whatever. And I was just like, oh man, like what happened? R two was was so happy. So anyway, I just figured I I had to mention that because I was like, I don't I even it. remember that, and that's like the greatest thing ever. Ah, that's great. I had totally forgotten about that, too. In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars Story, monthly at mystarwarsstory.com Bizarre stuff. Ah, so, droids adaptation of A New Hope. Yeah, so it's funny because there, there is no real decent write-up to steal anywhere like I, i'm looking on like you know things like marvel.com and stuff like that and it's just like it's star wars according to the droids yeah you know or, or it's like complete with additional scenes told from the perspective of the droids which you know is the essential setup of of the piece but i i figure i you know i kind of wrote up my own synopsis and it, it kind of deals more with, with i guess where it diverges from yeah. Star Wars. So I'll, I'll get into that and then, and then we can, you know, kind of discuss it and everything. But basically the comic we're going to discuss tonight, it's, it's droids issues six through eight. The publisher is Marvel. The imprint as discussed is the star comics imprint. The cover dates, according to Mike's amazing world, February, 1987, April, 1987, and June, 1987. The on sale dates, November 18th, 1986, January 13th, 1987, and March 17th, 1987. Uh, it starts out being a uh, whopping 75 cents. And by the eighth issue, you're paying a dollar for this. <laughs> The editor is Sid Jacobson. The writer is Dave Manick. The penciler is Ernie Cologne. The inker starts out as Marie Severin, and eventually by 7 and 8 is Al Williamson. Yes. The letterer is Ed King. The colorist starts out as Marie Severin and eventually graduates or 
devolves into George Russos. And the story titles, and I, I have some comments about this later, but I'm going to save it for later. The story titles, issue six is According to the Droids, issue seven, Darth Vader's Vengeance, and issue eight, The Last Jedi. These are all 22 pages, and I will go into the synopsis now. This opens much like the beginning of Star Wars with the Star Destroyer chasing after the Tantive Four. Princess Leia entrusts the Death Star plans to R2-D2, and he and 3PO get into an escape pod and land on Tatooine. The comic story diverges when R2 gets swallowed by the desert sand, almost like quicksand. 3PO quickly follows R2, also sinking, but it turns out they've fallen into a underground tunnel system of sorts. They meet some mole creatures, and 3PO attempts to communicate with them. 3PO mistranslates and believes the mole creatures want to serve them as masters, but in fact, they merely want to serve them up as food to Gotar, a giant acid lizard. Although the two droids are quickly swallowed by Gotar, R2 shoots out his electrical system, causing Gotar to spit them out so hard they end up back on the desert surface. Then like the film, they are taken by Jawas and purchased by Owen Lars and Luke Skywalker. Luke sees the holographic message of Princess Leia like the film, and R2 runs off on his own into the Jumlin Wastes. Unlike the film, R2 pulls some cartoony assaults on a Tusken Raider and hides underneath a Bantha to get through the Sand People camp undetected. However, a Tusken Raider still notices R2's treads, leaving mechanical tracks, and leads a whole band of Sand People after him. R2 only drives the Sand People away by projecting a huge transformer-sized hologram of C-3PO. Then, back to the film plot, Luke and 3PO search for R2 and the Landspeeder and get assaulted by the Sand People. Obi-Wan Kenobi saves Luke, R2, and 3PO by scaring away the Sand People. Old Ben takes Luke back to his home and passes on his father's lightsaber while listening to Princess Leia's plea for help on the holographic message implanted within R2-D2. Luke agrees to come with Ben Kenobi after discovering Imperial Stormtroopers have slaughtered the Jawas that sold them R2 and 3PO and his aunt Baru and Uncle Owen. When the group arrive at Mos Eisley Spaceport, not only do the droids not get tossed out of the creature cantina as they do in the film, but they are sighted by a squad of oncoming Imperial Stormtroopers. The next issue blurb, Han Solo, a man of mystery. And in the next issue, even though the Stormtrooper squad's assignment is to stop and detain all droids in the area, they seem to be harassing the alien locals who look like the blue aliens from the Reese's Pieces ads in comics. Once they are seen by Stormtroopers, they hide inside the Acme droid service by disguising themselves with extra droid parts. Once the Stormtrooper has abandoned his pursuit, 3PO and R2 are ready to leave, but the large, troll-like vendor at Acme is unwilling to let them leave without paying for the droid parts that they use to disguise themselves. Just before the troll is about to swing his large mace into 3PO's face, R2 blasts him with some kind of flame gun. As the vendor runs away screaming, this again alerts the stormtroopers to their presence. 3PO is captured, but R2 uses a buzzsaw arm to drop a series of ceramic pots on the two stormtroopers. At this point, 3PO and R2 rejoin Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke, who have located a pilot to take them off-world. When they meet Han Solo at Docking Bay 94, we return to the standard story of the film. Stormtroopers attack, and they launch in the Falcon, going to light speed to escape any Star Destroyers. Oddly, even though the droids are not present, mm -hmm. we cut to Leia with Governor Tarkin and the Death Star blowing up Alderaan. Mm -hmm. The droids, along with our heroes, 
are captured by the Death Star's tractor beam after Obi-Wan senses the destruction of the planet Alderaan. Han and Luke disguise themselves as stormtroopers, and Obi-Wan heads off on his own to disable the tractor beam. As the droids guide them via comms, Han and Luke rescue Leia. When the stormtroopers have them pinned down, they enter the garbage chute. Diverging from the film, the droids end up in the same room as Tarkin and Vader, led there by a stormtrooper who believes they belong there since they say they have Code Clearance 7. Vader force disintegrates the stormtrooper after Tarkin declares there is no room for stupidity aboard the Death Star. 3PO kicks a sentry droid, causing it to explode so they can evade the stormtroopers Tarkin sends to capture them. At this point, we return to the film narrative, and R2 plugs into the Death Star computers and stops the trash compactor from crushing Luke, Han, Leia, and Chewie. Like the film, the stormtroopers blast through the doors of the control room where the droids have locked themselves inside. Unlike the film, R2 goes all spy hunter and has stormtroopers slipping and tripping up over oil slicks. Obi-Wan disables the tractor beam and goes to confront Darth Vader, and the issue concludes with the two in the middle of a lightsaber duel, blocking the droid's only route to the hangar bay. Next issue, the jarring conclusion. We open in the midst of an epic lightsaber battle between Obi-Wan and Vader. Unlike the film, R2 zooms past Vader, Vader nearly slicing him in two. R2 ducks by turning his body lengthwise and fires a grapple to pull 3PO to the other side with him. Obi-Wan is struck down and our heroes escape in the Falcon. Han and Luke fend off TIE fighters in the gun turrets of the Falcon. As the Falcon jumps to hyperspace, Tarkin tells Vader his plan to track the Falcon to the secret rebel base at Betawuk. Luke attends the pilot briefing where the Death Star plans are projected by way of R2-D2. The main difference here is that there is a blonde female pilot with the name tag Travis. Meanwhile, unlike the film, 3PO and R2 discover the homing droid, which looks like something out of maximum overdrive. The homing droid's secondary mission is to seek out and destroy the Rebel base's main power generator. Missiles are fired by the Imperial homing droid and stop R2, who is covered in debris. 3PO manages to kick the homing droid, and with the advice of R2, lures it to the blast doors and then crushes it between them. The rest of the comic plays out like you remember the film. The various rebel squadrons make a run at the Death Star, Vader goes after those fighters with his own, Han Solo comes back in the Falcon to save Luke Skywalker. Luke fires the photon torpedoes, destroying the Death Star, and the comic ends with the droids making their way to the Royal Award Ceremony. And that hopefully is the maybe not so short, but maybe sweet synopsis of the three issues of Star Comics Droids. So I guess I should ask you, like, because you said these were really hard to find, like, when did you first encounter these issues? Like, did, did you read them, like, when they came out? Or did you read them sort of later as, like, back issues or collected editions? Or? Yeah, I read them as back issues later. I mean, I knew they were coming out. I mean, I, you know, everybody had Marvel Age. I knew that they were coming out, but I couldn't find them at the time. And it was probably probably when I was in my mid-20s when I finally got a copy of them. I, I feel like that's true of me with, with a lot of Star Wars comics that I couldn't get at the time as a kid. Like, I, I, I remember specifically, even though I tell stories about how I, I hate the store, but there, there I, I think it still exists. I don't know, but there's this store in 
Santa Monica called Heidi Ho Comics, and I tell stories. It's like stuff that would make Scott Gardner like shake his fist in the sky or whatever, you know. But it's like the, the way they set things up is okay. They they don't bag and board any of their back issues. They're all in these pine wooden boxes. They don't grade the books. You grab the books out of that pine box, which are super heavy, by the way, and 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 look through all these boxes that are stacked up to like the ceiling. Uh-huh. You get the comics you want. You bring them up. And then, you know, some girl or guy goes straight to the Overstreet price guide, looks up the the the, the pristine mint, mint price, price <laughs> and then and then tells you that. Oh, and man. and my story about that is when I walked out into Sesame was I found like a copy of I think it was like DC Comics Presents twenty six. It's the one with like I may be misquoting the number, but it's the one with like He Man and and Superman and they're fighting mm. Skeletor or whatever. And and I was like, oh, that'd be cool. And I see this copy and I can tell it's like a copy somebody dropped in the bathtub. But like I've I've sort of described like I I don't really care about that per se. I'm just like, oh, this is cool. Like let me let me get this. This is this is awesome. I love Superman. I love He Man. They're teaming up. I love team ups. Mm. Like this is going to be great. And so I got a waterlogged copy of DC Comics Presents. And sure enough, the girl goes to the Overstreet Guide, pulls it open. And quotes me like the highest possible price, which at the time was probably like, you know, five or six bucks. And I was just like, you know what? I was like, I was like, screw you guys. And I had a whole bunch of other comics too. And I just didn't care. I was like, I was like, screw this. I'm going somewhere else to get my new comics and, and keep wow. your stupid waterlog thing. And I was just like, I had had it. And then after that, like I never went there ever again. But before that happened, like I remember sort of suffering for Star Wars, I guess, where I went there because I knew I knew they had copies of the Marvel Star Wars and, and some of these Dark Horse comics that I didn't have at the time. And at the time, my goal was like, oh, I'm going to fill all these holes because cause I, I, was, I was super into it at the time. And, and I did. You know, like at that mm-hmm. point, I had like every, every Marvel, every Star, every, you know, Dark Horse, Star Wars comic. Like probably yeah. like that was, that was up to like the Phantom Menace era of comics. And I, I had them all. And yeah. then that's, that's kind of, it kind of tapered off after that. But at the time. I was sort of like super proud where I was like, I got them all, you know, oh, yeah. and I sort of, yeah. Yeah. I think I backfilled a lot of mine from intergalactic trading company. I had a store in Orlando called sci-fi world. So every time we go to Disney, I had to go, had this giant George Powell era, Martian war machine smashing through the wall of the store. It was so huge. And that's where I got a lot of my back issues from. I filled in a lot of my collection there. And I'm 99% sure that's where I got those issues finally. I just stumbled upon them and looked at the price. And kind of like you, that was a little more than I wanted to pay. But you know what? I had never actually seen them in the wild before, so that I was taking them. Yeah. For the, the droids and the Ewoks, I think I actually got a deal on those. Because oh. from, from my recollection, and it's kind of like maybe a sad story, but but the, the comic store that I went to locally when I went to Loyola Marymount, it used to be right behind what was the Marriott Hotel, like kind of like a little outside of LAX. And mm. I think today, I think that hotel got bought out. And it's like, it's called the Furama now. I think it's still called the Furama. And I know now they built a bunch of like apartment complexes there. Ah. There's there's not like a supermarket or any kind of like, I guess, retail stores. Ah. It's just, I think it's just hotels and apartments and all that other stuff. But back in the day, there, there was, it was like one of these things where I I felt like I had, uh, I had lost my nerd card because what was funny was I, I came to L.A., I was kind of like, not that I wasn't into comics, but I was just like, where am I going to put these things in my dorm room? I should probably hold off on it. And then instead, <laughs> that turned into like me collecting like VHS tapes because it was more socially acceptable, I think, or whatever. And 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 then and then like 
I eventually found like there was a nice newsstand in Marina del Rey that I would get comics from, which technically, if I could remember what those comics were, would count as like spinner rack comics. But I'll, uh, I'll be damned if I can remember what I actually bought from there or not. It was probably like electric blue Superman and like, you know, Gambit getting like, what is it like maroon from the X-Men or whatever, like things yeah. like that it was that era of comics. But I, who knows what issues those were. <laughs> but I, I, and then when I found a real comic shop, it was on like, I think I want to say it was on like, was it Sepulveda? I don't know. Like it was, so, it was something like where, where, or, or Lincoln or whatever. Like you, basically, the point is, it was like super, like technically, it was super far away. Like, and and I thought this is the closest comic store, but I went there and bought things like, you know, I don't know, Howard the Duck teaming up with Gambit and Spider Man right. and the latest Ghost Rider or whatever I was getting, and and that's that's what I knew. And and then the, that Heidi Ho store in Santa Monica and all these different shops that you you became acquainted with. And you know, eventually, I think my my main shop of choice was in Culver City, and it was outside of the Sony Studios and all that kind of stuff. But the the one that was the closest to me that I didn't realize was a buddy of mine came up to visit me at Loyola. And, and he's like, did you go to the comic shop? And I'm like, what what comic shop? He's like, you know, the one behind the hotel. And I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, the, the one behind the hotel. Yeah, yeah, I go there all the time. Yeah, exactly. yeah, whatever. He's like, yeah, I, I, I have some comics. And then I think, like, you know, a, day, a couple of days later after he had left, I was like, I wonder what he's talking about. So I went behind the hotel and I was like, holy crap, there's a comic store here. And I was like, this is awesome. You know, like, and so, so I, 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 from then on, it was like super close. So I went to that comic store, but unfortunately, like at eventually that store went out of business. And when it did, like all their stock was, was deeply discounted. So I remember getting like, basically at the time, I probably still owned droids six, seven, and eight, but I got, you know, one through five. And I think I got like, all the the Ewoks comics and like a whole bunch of other stuff, and that was that was one of those things where it was like kind of bittersweet because you're like, oh, this store's going away, that that sucks. But then you know, I guess you know, I'm one of the Volter. I'm like deals, comics, or whatever, you know. And so I, I I went in and swooped in and did my did my Vulture thing before it died or whatever, and that that was how I ended up getting you know the whole set of those. Not a thing wrong with that. Not a thing at all wrong with that. That's what I will say. So we've got this adaptation. It's it's interesting. It's kind of cute. Yeah, yeah. It it almost Ernie Colon almost looks like he drew it without ever having seen the movie ever. Yeah, yeah. There is <laughs> there is that aspect to it. I I think it's funny that you called the adaptation cute because I my note is that Ernie Colon's Princess Leia is cute. Like, and it, it's it's not like a disparaging thing. I just think, I think it is cute. But then the thing I was going to ask you about, and I don't, I, I'm not exactly sure what your answer will be or how you feel about it. But like, I, I think just looking at this critically, like, which I've never done before. I just kind of was like, yay, this is a spinner rack comic. I love this. Looking at it semi-critically, I was just noticing, like, I think I prefer, uh, I think I prefer the Severin inks to to the al williamson inks and i'm i'm wondering if there was some kind of pushback like where they they thought it looked too cartoony and that was like some kind of course correction like be like oh no we got to bring in al williamson because he knows what what star wars looks like like if it was if it was like some kind of internal directive to to, because it's like by this point i think you know the show was long with and i don't think they were selling any toys or anything like that like i I feel like this is kind of the, the 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 waning era of of star wars yeah this is the beginning of the dark times i mean that's what this is you know in all reality 
this is the start of the dark times. You know, it's interesting, the difference in art. First off, I was shocked that Al Williamson was the anchor for these stories. I mean, even at the time, I remember going, well, you know, getting in my 20s or whatever and going, Al Williamson, really? On a key story? It, because it just, it, it, because he's such Star Wars art royalty to many of us, you know, between the, the Empire Strikes Back adaptation, and the the comic strip for three years and this yeah. is again a couple yeah. of years after the comic strips the comic strip ended in 84 so you know the guy needed work i guess and you'll see a lot of there's a lot of marvel stuff late 80s through the early 90s that al williamson did a lot of inks for and it just it always depresses me when i see that because it, it always makes me think that gosh here's a guy who's who's just working for the money because he to me al williamson was such a visionary on his with his own work that it just to just see him kind of throw, throwing some inks over somebody else's work it's a little saddening but to your point it is a little it's a it's a different look and it's a little less archy look mm, yeah yeah but i but the weird thing is i when i look at it and i'm sure he had the freedom to kind of redraw some things if he needed to i don't see a lot of al williamson in his work in those other issues i mean i see a difference but I don't see necessarily his signature on it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, I, I guess I guess it's just it's 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 always been interesting to me how I I I think I have a delayed reaction as a fan to to inks, but then I realize mm. like how important they can be in my appreciation of the art. Like when I when I met yeah. Bob Wiasek, I told him like I was like, you know, I didn't realize like you were the common factor in a lot of the, the art and books that I liked, like, yeah. I like actually sat down and looked at it where I was like, Oh, he's going to be at this con. And what, what would I want him to sign and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and you sort of piece it together and you go, Holy crap. Like, that's why I dig like this Walt Simons and stuff. And that's why yeah. I dig the, the, the star Wars issues that he worked on. And that's why, you know, it just, it all yeah. sort of came into place for me. Like, like that's why this looks so cool, yeah. you know, well, like I type mean- thing. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people tend to think of the inker as a guy who traces over the pencils, and that's not at all. I mean, they're artists. They're artists in their own right. They have a tr- yeah. profound impact on the art. Oftentimes, re, you know, sometimes redrawing it, sometimes making it look better, sometimes making it look worse. So basically, you just trace. It's, uh, it's not tracing, all right? I had depth and shading to give the image more definition. Only then does the drawing truly take shape. No, 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 no. You go over what he draws with a pen, all right? That's tracing. Not really. Next. You look at a guy, I'll tell you who to me is a great example. If you look through Marvel Star Wars, the single, probably the biggest MP art-wise is Tom Palmer. Because he Mm. is consistently on that book from some of the earliest days through to just about the end, I guess right around Cynthia Martin taking over. He's he's no longer on it, but he's a consistent guy on that book, and he makes when he's on that book, he makes everything look better. So that you know the 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 ink can make a difference, but yeah, I I, I tend to kind of agree with you that I don't know that Al Williamson made this thing better, but he didn't make it more Al Williamson either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I don't I don't I don't dislike what I read. I just think it's one of those things yeah. it's just a, a personal preference or whatever yeah. and, and just looking at it i was kind of like you know i wonder what it what it would have felt like if if in, if marie yeah. severin had done all the issues well like what that would have been like you know if in fact 
you look at the first panel of the whole story, the first panel of issue six, that's a very, very Al Williamson panel. Mm. Uh, you know, and he's not he's not on the book at this point. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably the most Al Williamson looking image there is with that spaceship with the giant bubble in the middle. You know, the Rebel Blockade Runner's got that big bubble in the middle of it. Yeah, that's just yeah. a real Al Williamson thing. And so it, it is interesting to see that he took over, but really. I don't know. I, it, you almost get the sense when you're reading it that he's like, okay, I've got a page rate. I've got a job to do. Let me do it. And you don't see the Al Williamson of the Flash Gordon strips or the Al Williamson of the Empire adaptation or the Al Williamson of the newspaper strip. You see the Al Williamson who's getting a page rate to get a job done and ship it off to Marvel, which, you know, it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's, I think that's fair. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta food on the table and all that kind of exactly. stuff. Like, I, no, I, I exactly. don't, you know. Yeah, no, you've got to do it, and you're you're absolutely right. And if a guy can work, it's just kind of a shame that he didn't that he at the time was not engaged in projects that really highlighted his abilities. So I guess pointing out like you know Star Wars nerd type stuff, I I feel like I need to point out that even though the 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 stated mandate, the purpose of this is to retell Star Wars, the cover of issue six has like. Jedi Luke, the, the Jabba gun <laughs> on it. And I was kind of like, I was trying to figure out like the timetable of this, and I'm like, were there still like Luke Kenner figures to sell or something, like that were still clogging up the shelves or something? And I kind of feel like there weren't, because I'm like, I'm like, this is like 87, like I think the line was kind of done in 85, like I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't think there'd still be two, I mean, you know, yeah, maybe there'd be like some kind of peg warmer figures here and there, oh, but I, mean, I don't think Jedi Luke was one of them. Like I, I just, I was just, you know, yeah. I don't know. Technically, you know, if you're, if you're going to look at it that way, Vader and Obi-Wan are fighting on the front cover with original 12 back Luke lightsabers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then again, and again, you could, you could, you could already buy her Obi-Wan and Vader fighting on the cover in that in issue. Cause part, that, yeah. that doesn't, that doesn't quite, they don't quite get up to that point at that, no. in the issue at that point either. Right. Like, no. And you, you know what I was wondering, like, what if, like, like, uh, what if they, I mean, uh, obviously it wouldn't really match the art, but I was like, what if they tried to color correct the, the Jedi Luke costume and like put like, I don't know, like whites and light blues or I don't know, something to make it look like the, the, the desert farm boy. Like, I mean, it would look still totally wrong, but I was like looking at it going, I wonder if they could like, just make that like sort of, you know color correct it and and try to make it look like the the farm boy luke outfit or something uh, don't, but don't 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 do that don't go there <laughs> i'll tell you, do you have you seen where they took the original six issues of the new hope adaptation and recolored them digitally oh oh wait i've seen some panels oh. from that those are those are oh. really bad oh. like 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 they're so dull like kind of lifeless oh. huh like, well, they're just all yeah. photoshoppy looking and it's just like eh. Yeah. So when you start talking about recoloring these things, I'm like, don't stop. Don't do it. Please. Well, I, 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 I'm just, I, I'm, it's just, it was just kind of like a, a thought, but not like, not like the whole thing, but I was just kind of like, not that they should do it, but just like, I wonder, I wonder what that would look like if somebody, you know, did like the, the inverted color on it, just, just for giggles, like, like, like what, what that would look like or whatever. But that was just, you know, He's even got the black glove on, though. 
Yeah, yeah, he's got the black glove. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's impossible. I mean, clearly, it's supposed to be Jedi Luke. Like, like, I mean, the gun and the glove and 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 the you know, he's got the collar and everything. Like, it's yeah. not like it's not it's not like they did Farm Boy Luke and and colored it black. You know, yeah. it's like they did draw the the Jedi Luke. It's just wow. That's like yeah. you know, basically, <laughs> if if this cover is going ahead of the movie, it's really going ahead of the movie on the cover as far as Indeed. that goes. Indeed. So, so th- this is something else I, I wanted to touch base with you on, you know, given I'm sure you have an opinion about it one way or the other. And I, I think at this point, it's something where if you throw the dart on the board with me, I'm like, who cares? But th- I'm, I'm, I'm just curious. So according to the interwebs, I don't know, maybe it was StarWars.com or something like that. I don't know how accurate this is. But according to the interwebs, droids, like the, the cartoon, I guess, and, and if this comic is set before it, you know, well, except for these issues, obviously, but, you know, the, the, the previous issues is a little bit before. They say droids is set four years after Revenge of the Sith and 15 years before the event of Star Wars. So I guess the first five issues are, you know, conceivably 15 years before these issues. Mm-hmm. So what my thought is, is, like, do you think the official film canon like renders these stories as moot or do you do you try to reconcile like did they just go from Bail Organa to like all these other masters and then somehow wind up back with Bell Organa? Like am I being too literal about it where I'm like trying to make <laughs> things more or less complicated? Like like do you have a, a take on that notion, I guess, that the the ownership of these droids? I I do and it's interesting because the pre Prequels kind of undid a lot of what I always thought about him. Uh, oh, you know, okay. 3PO always called R2 his counterpart. And so my assumption was always, as a young man, before the prequels came out, that these two droids were manufactured, and at the plant they were paired together and sent off into the galaxy together. Oh, okay. And so it made sense that everywhere they went, that they stayed together no matter what. You know, the, the prequels kind of destroyed every bit of that notion. So that headcanon was shred- shredded. And now in my head, it kind of doesn't make sense for them to have remained a pair for all this time. It's kind of a time-honored story tradition with these guys in Star Wars. I mean, remember that when Dark Horse got the license, one of the early projects they did yeah. was a droid series. Yeah. yeah. Uh, along the same lines, a little less cartoony, but still a lot of fun and a lot of, you know, zipping around, around the cosmos before they're owned by Luke. I like them. I don't necessarily know that I want to try to find a way to integrate them into canon. Because I, I, I tend to think, kind of like you're implying here, is that their existence between episode three and episode four is probably pretty humdrum. Yeah, you, you'd think, I mean, the, the, the straightest line would be there with Bail Organa, and they yeah. stay there until they get on they're the canon there. four, right? Yeah. Like, they're, they're there. Yeah. It's not, sorry, not to, not to go into something else, but it's not like, the Cosmic Cube goes from Howard Stark to, what is it, Project Pegasus, and then back to Howard Stark, and then back to the Avengers. It's like, to me, it seems like it's a pretty straight path or whatever. Like, the yeah. droids just, at least if you're going to view the prequels as, you know, the well, the higher end of the, or, you know, the, the, the authority yeah. on what canonicity oh, is, absolutely. right? Like, and it's also not logical to think these droids would stay together all the time, because they weren't, they weren't manufactured together they weren't paired together and and you know droids are very much property in the star wars galaxy people tend to not have much regard for what they want to do but rather for what they need them for and so i just it's 
illogical to me that they would actually stay together all this time if that wasn't their original natural intended state. Well, even in, in this, like, I mean, you know, in, in say, Star Wars or, or in this adaptation, you know, they get into the part where, you know, Uncle Owen, you know, the, the whole point was they didn't want to buy R2, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, and, exactly. and, and then in this, like, what, what I made a note about that I thought was funny was, uh, you know, R5-D4, you know, a.k.a. Skippy the Jedi droid, doesn't get to save the Rebellion <laughs> in this because it's just some random red astromech that that malfunctions yeah. in in this adaptation you know because of the way it's it's drawn and everything and like but yeah. you know th- that's something that was weird too because in that panel like owen is like kind of like an adult fat like old luke like yeah. his outfit right like he doesn't look like you know like owen lars had his own kind of like white robe and and did his thing or yeah. whatever you know and then this it's just kind of like oh okay so he's just a you know, a chubby farm boy Luke with, you know, older, older hair, you know? And I was just kind of like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like, <laughs> This is what Luke is in danger of becoming if he doesn't get the hell off that rock. Yeah, yeah, if he, if, if he doesn't join the, uh, the the fitness group on Facebook, you know, he's going he's gonna to go that, that route, right? Like, he's going right. to gonna get the tummy. Tubby Owen, that's what we'll call him from now on. He's not even got the, the scruff or anything, you know, the the. St- Double. He just is old fat Luke. Some of the things I I liked especially about this is like I I do enjoy how they give Vader the the black word bubbles and then the white set mm-hmm. text. Like I thought that was a a cool way to to set his dialogue apart from the other characters. I I wondered what you thought of I I, I don't even know what to call this really. But what do you think R two doing the the spin with the Tuscan Raiders belt. Like, I, I, I don't know if it's like three stooges hijinks. Like, I don't, I don't know exactly it's, what to quantify that as, but yeah, he's unwrapping the mummy over there. Um, Scooby-Doo. I, it's, it's I don't silly. know. Yeah, yeah. It's slapstick, you know, and it's okay. I'll tell you what I did. What I did enjoy about that sequence is it seems to be maybe an inside gag. Maybe not. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but the Banthas, you know, the Banthas in the film are just elephants with fur stuck on them. The way they drew them in this, they look like elephants with fur stuck on them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're almost drawn like the elephant is half hanging out. Maybe maybe that's the one part Ernie Cologne got reference photos for? I don't know. Well, it's... it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't look like a movie Bantha to me. It just looks like, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe the guy had never seen the movie. They went, well, the they took these elephants and they put fur on them. Okay, hey, let me draw an elephant with fur on them. Yeah. Because that's really, it, it doesn't look like a movie bantha per se. It just looks like if we stuck fur on an elephant, which is technically what they were, but it's not what they look like in the movie. It reminds me of any gag they ever made on a cartoon with a mummy. Like like you say, Scooby-Doo, where they just yeah. and pull them and like unwraps. So you've helped me sort of narrow the, down what I was feeling. I mean, I, I feel like that scene fits the cartoon a bit more than than mm-hmm. the the films i guess because i mean they, they they did have some semi slapsticky things where people would like mm-hmm. you know get on ships and fly off and then bounce off of like you know i don't know mats or you know like the, the, you know yeah. they fall into fruit or whatever it is you know like like stuff like that where it's not you, you're like all right well i'll i'll forgive this but you know if it was like real life they'd have like you know broken limbs or balls or you know, whatever it yeah, was, but of course. Know, they, they kind of, well, I guess, I guess the same, in the same vein, like they, they kind of gloss over the remains of Baru and Owen. Like they just kind of show Luke roll up to like the, 
the desolate homestead, but they don't, you know, and they don't, they don't make an effort to cut to, you know, it's like that, what the famous meme of the, the Kenner action figure where it's like the charred yeah. husk of, yes. of Brew and Owen in the, the Kenner packaging or whatever, you know, like they don't, they don't accentuate that. I mean, you, you know what happened, but it's, it's sort sure. of glossed over, I guess. It's not, it's not really focused on or anything. No, it's just, uh, and, and again, there's a certain gruesomeness and these are star comics. So they're for the kids. So they did, they did the best they could on that. Also, you know, when you talk about things that are in cons- that are consistent and in keeping with the comics of the uh, cartoon series, I really think that acid lizard was, was very much in keeping with the series. Mm. I mean, it's the kind of thing I think that would, you know, like great heap era stuff. Yeah. It, it feels like something they would have had on there. The, the other thing I find interesting is as we progress through the story is the lightsabers all look like flashlights. Yeah. Which yeah. for a kid's line, that's kind of cool. Cause you know, in fact, when I was in second grade, right after Star Wars had come out, I I had an old gi, you know, karate outfit for those of you not in the loop on that. Uh, I had a gi that my uncle, who's a Taekwondo instructor, had given me, and I decided for Halloween that I was going to be Luke Skywalker. And so I put the gi top on and some like some you know beige brown pants, and I wanted a lightsaber for my belt, but well, they, they didn't make them back then. You know, they hadn't ramped up the toy line. You look like lightsabers weren't in stores yet. So I took a metal flashlight and hung it on my belt, and that was my lightsaber. So, you know, that's what we kids played lightsaber with before they, you know, the toy industry really ramped up the Star Wars stuff. So to see that and to see that throughout the story really kind of brought something back to me because I thought, well, that's, that's what we did. That's how we played. That's the kids' version of the lightsabers. So two two things that I'll never get another chance to talk about ever again. <laughs> I also played lightsaber with uh, with broomsticks and ow that hurts, ah. hurts when they nail you on the hand. <laughs> and then uh, sure. and then and then two the light the lightsaber as a flashlight thing. I was a little older, but we were we were definitely into having handy cams and and recreating things or making our own movies and everything. And and one mm-hmm. thing we ended up deciding to do one day was we watched the empire lightsaber battle and just got it down like shot for shot so i you know when i when i came out of the the door in the backyard it was like luke coming through the 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 door into the cloud city chamber and when he looks at his saber before he looks up like i for the i guess the the saberless hilt it was a flashlight, you know, so I was looking at this flashlight and then when, when it ignited, of course, yeah. it was, you know, some kind of, I, I think, I think they were, I want to say they were like store-bought, like either baseball bats or something. It was like, I had like a yellow mm-hmm. baseball bat and, 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 and my buddy had this gigantic red wiffle bat. Like it was, it was, it was so, it was so like super huge that when, when the, the yellow quote unquote lightsaber bat impacted on the red bat when we did the shot you could see it like flop over the other side and flop back <laughs> like when we ran it in slow-mo like it was it was super funny and like but yeah it was like that was the kind of stuff that we just we just love love doing and so that's i mean at the very least i'm glad i in part like because i know sometimes when i talk about star wars i come off like a grumpy old angry man or whatever but at least in this <laughs> instance like i can I can express some some genuine joy behind that and everything. I, I think for me the last the last note, and I kind of briefly mentioned this on issue six that I have, is that the giant three PO like totally reminds me 
of the episode of Transformers where Hound makes a hologram of this gigantic fake Autobot, the Scarab Devastator, because like Devastator is like the biggest Decepticon at the time, and then and then he makes an yeah. even bigger Decepticon where he's like, ho ho ho, little one, <laughs> like what are you doing here? And they look up, they're like, holy crap, he's even bigger than I am, you know. So it was like that's what that. 3PO hologram kind of reminded me of. You know nice. I mean? So I, I, I love that. I like it. Nothing defeats the Devastator. Nothing. Nothing, little one. <laughs> what would you say about me? <laughs> now, before he realizes what is happening. What about Ben's aqua robe? <laughs> I, I don't I guess I, I guess I didn't think about it too much like there there are things I, I know because I've been I've been calling out some of the colors like I think I was fine with with Ben like you know what I will call out though and I don't know if you'll even understand or appreciate this reference but like Governor Tarkin looks like he belongs on the white base of me. Like then that's that's a mobile suit Gundam reference but they have military uniforms that are very similar to to imperial uniforms but they're blue and have like red accents and all this kind of stuff oh and, that's exactly Tarkin then uh just look up like amaro ray amaro way okay there it is there it is all right oh yeah no oh yeah 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 i was like i was like why does i was because <laughs> I, think, I think the coloring gets a little less colorful like by issue eight but but like in in this, I was just kind of like, whoa! There's like it's like he's wearing like a red sash or something. I don't know what was going on there, but like it was it was kind of it was kind of strange. Like I mean, I get why I get because it's the droids comic based on the cartoon why they went with yeah. more four color images. But like I was kind of surprised because even if you look at like the standard Imperial officers, they kind of have that military green look, and I was like, I wonder why. Tarkin just didn't have the military green, and then I thought, well, maybe to make him stand out. But then I thought, well, why don't you just give him that blue, like, and call it a day? Like, I didn't, yeah. I didn't understand why he had to have all those like, red but, accents and everything. I think he's got the red because he's competing in the Miss Imperial Governor pageant. <laughs> and so, it's like, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of an R to roll in an acceptance speech. Right? It's like, I'm very happy to be here in this. Is, uh, Tournament. <laughs> the imperial children yeah. are very important. <laughs> Their ability to read is important. Reading enough. is uh, vital. Reading. <laughs> <laughs> and such as. Yeah. You, have to, you have to throw in the Miss South Carolina thing. Nice. So in, in the second part, we see a lot of this whole what are R2 and 3PO doing while they're in the cantina? This is the stuff about this thing that I like. I'll be honest with you, I'm a little, I get a little cheesed when they go to the Death Star and they do the Imperial stuff because this is supposed to be from the droids POV. Yeah, I was, I mean, I pointed that out in the synopsis and that's one of those things like, yeah. I don't, like, why Why are we cutting to this? Like, because they're not yeah. there yet. Like, like they wouldn't even know about exactly. this. No, they they're they're not in on this. It's not their point of view. It's nothing to do with them. But, I'll, but and I understand it's kind of vital to tell the story. But find a way to frame those scenes so that we understand that they're outside. I mean, it could have been something. The scope of the experience of the drawing. This is this is me. This is my editorial. So forgive me. But I'm like I'm like I'm like if Jim Shooter was still there, he would have had them you know add like some some narration balloons that said you know ah Princess Leia later told me that. 
such and such went yes. down like this and and it would have yes. been fine like y- you don't have to like restructure the whole story but just give us like a breadcrumb or something you know yeah absolutely just give me a little something by the way in the second part ben's because they have a new colorist ben's back to brown <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't maybe that's his traveling clothes do you what, what among, among the really important questions is what do you think of the porter ass reese's pieces aliens like because because those guys like stood out <laughs> To me, like I was like, wait, what do these guys remind me of? And then I looked up the ad too, and I was like, yep, that's it. Like, if you look, if anybody's listening to this, just look up like Reese's Pieces comic book ad, and then these poor little blue guys, the stormtroopers are, are harassing, like in the first page. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, they they look just like the Reese's Pieces alien. But you know what else they are? They're about the only vestige of actual Al Williamson you get in this whole thing. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're very Al Williamson esque. That that little polka dot guy running away from him is a classic cowboy yeah guy. yeah he's he's straight up out of the comic strips or something it's like lockheed some yeah <laughs> from alien nation and yoda all had an orgy and came up with that that little nice kid. nice i like it but yeah i like these scenes where they're you know here they are trying to fudge their way through something and then they get on the falcon and they blast into hyperspace and the falcon somehow goes into hyperspace sideways <laughs> i don't know what that was i don't know what happened there dude it's it's the, like it's, Williamson... the, it's the falcon slip and slide you know it's it's fine yeah <laughs> but williams has been drawing the dad blame falcon for seven eight years at this point you would think know which direction it flies but yet there it is because that's the cock i mean I, am i wrong here that's the cockpit staring us in the face there yeah, yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. It's pointed, it's pointed <laughs> on its side. That's why I'm laughing my butt off. Like, and I, I don't even think, I don't even think I noticed that until you pointed out. But you're, you're absolutely a hundred percent right. On my reread, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's like now, now, I'm, now you're gonna make me make like dumb jokes where it's like I'm a driver, I'm a flyer, I'm a slip and slider. You know, <laughs> like, it's just like, come on, man. Bizarre, but it comes out okay, and then. In fact, you know, the more I say there's no Al Williamson there, I do look at, like, when they come out of hyperspace right after Alderaan's been blown up. He kind of, even though it's cartoony, he kind of yeah. Al Williamson's up the Falcon a little bit. Yeah, I noticed yeah. that there. Yeah, like the, and even the I'm asteroid gonna, field a little bit kind of feels Yeah, like I'm, I'm going to take that back. There, There is a little bit of Al Williamson in this. So I'll, uh, I'll admit to my wrongness on that. And then, oh, it's a space station. And then R2 turns red for the rest of the series. Yeah, which is even more confusing because there was that other poor red droid or whatever earlier that didn't yeah. didn't get picked, and then yeah, and and then and then that that sequence is where I started to notice oh all the other imperial guys have like the the mash green I guess if you will you know mm-hmm. like they're not they're not entering beauty pageant so to speak you know like they're no they're not glorious and <laughs> beautiful like talking so this is something I wanted to talk to you about like. Dude, like when 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 the droids come up and get caught by Vader and and Tarkin, which again, this would have been another good way to include them in story points that they didn't weren't mm-hmm. privy to or whatever, which is fine. But this is that whole you know there is no room for stupidity aboard this vessel, is there, Lord Vader? And then, he, dude, the dude turns the stormtrooper turns into smoke. 
Like it's like whoa, yeah, like yeah. like it's it's Vader. like super super awesome, but kind of like I didn't know Vader could do that, but awesome. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, yes, he just completely the armor just falls there, and there's even this weird sound effect which I thought was a signature for a second there, where there's some little piece of his armor that's kind of rolling to a halt, like the uh, oh, like the little prison hoops in Superman the movie. Does look like that's a is that a signature that looks like a signature? No, that's a little sound. It's a sound effect. Oh, okay. It totally it does totally look like a signature though. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Somehow Vader made the guy disappear. It's far worse than anything he did in Empire Strikes. Back, yeah. Yeah. Where he's just choking people out. Here he's just like. Oh, I mean, I mean, I mean he literally atomizes the guy somehow or disintegrates him yeah. or whatever, and I was just like, whoa. I guess don't with his left hand yeah. too. I thought Vader was right. I was like, don't don't be stupid on the Death Star. <laughs> and then you got Tarkin with his red boots too. By the way, he's still got to go into that pageant. Now, now this this may or may not get yes. me into trouble, but I, I tried to frame it in such a way that uh, hopefully I, I won't get myself into too much trouble. But I'm just gonna say that the coloring of the Imperial Sentry droid made me think in pure thoughts. So, don't, I mean, I'm just going to say that. I'm just throwing that out there because I was, like, looking at it, and I'm just kind of like, wait, who's going to, was that Princess Leia's? Like, what, what, what is going on there exactly? Like, who yeah. does this belong to? What does it do? You thought they were just interrogating. Yeah, but apparently not. And 3PO kicks hmm. the crap out of it, and then it sort of spooges all over the Death Star. So I was just kind of like, all yeah, right, Luke, you know, whatever. Looks. I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to rescue. Just go away for a little <laughs> Just bit. Just come back. I'm not done yet. I'm almost. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's totally where my head was at with yeah, that. So that's almost as bad as a dog toy <laughs> these days. Uh, my wife brings home some dog toys. I'm like, oh, is that for your pleasure or the dogs? Uh, wow. I thought it was interesting that Leia suddenly got his this wonderful, beautiful hairstyle. The buns fall out at, when she comes into the garbage smasher, which I thought was odd. But I, I liked the fact that the Obi-Wan and Vader battle t- took place in a way that, that provided an obstacle for R2 and yeah. 3PO, because it found a way to make them part, make that part of the story part of their story. Yeah, because it, it's... That, see, that's yeah. the kind of thing that made sense to it's me. It's an obstacle, right? Like, they, they, they see yeah. it, and, and you're privy to the way the story normally flows but they they sort of have to encounter it themselves yeah so when this you say well the story's told from their point of view well that makes sense then why that's part of the story i i guess since since we're on there's since we're on to the fight i guess i'll i'll have some of my commentary from from eight but like dude like r2d2 is pulling the matrix move before it was cool like before it was k-e-w-l cool because he he does this whole matrix duck slow-mo move when vader is like slicing him or whatever you know oh like that's to me i yes, i when yes. i when i saw that panel i was like oh somebody needs to like i should probably do it on my page i'll just get a get a grab of, of the panel and put like the matrix sound effect where it's like Duh! however that goes like safe yeah time. i like it So I did allude to this before we started, but 
I, I just, I, I'll just, with, without commentary, I'll just kind of say, hey, this was titled The Last Jedi back when it was cool. <laughs> that makes three but before it was divisive you know <laughs> are there are there wait because mm-hmm. there's there's the marvel star wars has a has a title that's the last jedi too right like yep what's the third uh there was a novel oh okay that was titled the last jedi it's on my shelf somewhere i'm looking at my continuity shelf trying to find it real quick maya Catherine bonoff and michael reeves a novel called the last jedi as well like a post order sixty six thing. Oh, okay, okay. I'm trying to remember the the Marvel one is doesn't like is it Luke that comes across like an old like is it an old alien Jedi or, or somebody Jedi. who thinks he's a Jedi or something? Yeah, I can say I don't I don't know that he ever really was a Jedi. Yeah, he, he, they sort of think he's it or he thinks he's a Jedi or it was something like that, right? Yeah, and he he's called Jedi. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's uh, it's issue forty nine. Michael W. Barr wrote. Okay. It. Okay. Walt Simonson penciled it. And Tom Palmer. Ah, there you go. Tom that was kind of in that phase of Marvel where they were trying to figure out what the heck do we do after Empire Strikes Back? Because, you know, you got this cliffhanger. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to go. And then the big epic issue 50, which just was reprinted a week or two ago, and I guess will be the subject of, of part of the upcoming Marvel 108. But shortly after that, they finally brought David Michelinie on to work work with Walt Simonson and then they kind of stumbled into another golden era of that comic. Yeah, I guess I guess they sort of had to tell like Superboy type stories, you know, like cuz they Yeah. they had a sort of cliffhanger and then a point that they knew they had to areas they had to sort of shy away from too. Yeah. But yeah, you can't discuss Luke's lineage cuz that's not truly been resolved. You can't discuss what's happened to Solo. You can't discuss the romantic entanglements between Luke, Leia and Solo. It's just, it, yeah, they were in a, a big, and they finally started to find some ways where they brought Michelinie on to work with Simon. And that just, that, that became gold. So I, I will say that, that the coloring for, for Tarkin in issue eight is, is kind of more my preferred, like, I mean, he still has a red accent, but it looks like it's just the collar this time. So it's a little more tame. So I think, I think for that, for me, I could kind of handle it. And then the, the, the other note I'm going to mention is, the the whole briefing which i'm like did you find it odd like do do they think they're on hoth and not yavin 4 because it's like yeah it's like they they start they get there and han and leia are in their regular star wars outfit and then almost all of a sudden everybody's dressed in space parkas like they're on hoth and i was just kind of like well wait a minute like they're not on hoth but like they look like they're on hoth and they're on a steamy, sweltering jungle planet. Yeah, and then and then there's a lot. I mean, I don't know. There to me, there's all kinds of stuff on this page that just sort of I I had to make note of because it's like Hans in the space parka, and then Hans in the briefing, and Hans the one that says the the thermal exhaust port is impossible, and then then Luke goes into the you know T sixteen womp rats type, you know, yeah, I can do it, it can be done type thing and yeah. everything, and then you've got what I mentioned before, which is the, the female rebel pilot, Travis, who makes me think of Shira Bree, you know, like that, like that, they, they, mm-hmm. you know, not the same character, but that they, they seem to be, you know, if not contemporaries, like uh, of a similar stature, you know, like, oh, maybe Luke could hook up yeah. with this lady and then she can become like the coolest, 
you know, female Vader ever, you know, like that kind of thing, you know? So, so like that's, that was something that was like occurring to me and everything. And then, and then my last thought on this, and, and I, I think it's more pronounced in later panels, but I'm just going to bring it up now. Is it me or does general Dodonna kind of look like present day George Lucas by pure complete accident? You, you know, I hadn't seen that. I, I, I had him looking more like somebody from a Dennis, the Myth comic. Mm. Cause like there, there's, there's some panels later. Like the one I'm thinking of specifically is like, if you go to the last panel on page 17, like where they're looking at the, the, I guess, map that shows the Death Star moving towards Yavin four. Yeah. Oh, that's George. Dude, doesn't that look like George Lucas? Like, yeah, that, that, that's what I brought it up now, but like, that's, that's where that note originated from where I was looking at it going. Dude, that totally looks like, if not George Lucas, it looks like the Red Letter Media guys dressing up as George Lucas or something, you know, like, like <laughs> for sure, you know, like. Yeah, up up to and during the briefing, he looks like a, a deranged Mr. Wilson to me. <laughs> uh, you know, Mr. Wilson's been lost in the woods for a while because that. That that Mitchell kid uh, has finally. This is this is the and, assault uh, on the Mitchell you know, kid's house. Off. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, uh, and I don't know why he looks stylistically so. And you're right; he doesn't look like that later. It's almost like it's almost like Williamson didn't get to finish certain things, or they had to redraw mm-hmm. something at the last last minute or something because. Because General Racket just looks vastly different on these two pages than he does in the rest of the book, and vastly different than anything else. See, it's weird because he's in the parka. You called him Riken, right? But I right, said but Riken, but, I'm sorry, but, but I guess yeah, it, well, yeah, no, no, no. I think that's fair because I'm like, dude, they're all dressed in hot parkas. For all I know, it is General Riken, right? Yeah. But but I was like sitting there going like, but you know, I, I guess if you go by the movie, it's, it's Dodonna, right? But but he doesn't really look yeah, like sure. Dodonna. He kind, I mean, technically, like if you put if you put a picture of Dodonna from the film next to a picture of Riken from the film. And then you put this guy going to the Death Star Trench. Like, I don't know. I think you'd have one of those like internet things where people are saying it's colored blue and white or gold and black, or, you know, everybody would be like arguing over what, <laughs> what it is exactly. And everybody would have Ugh. a different opinion. I feel like. Yeah. Just bizarre stuff. And what are these, what are these things hanging over their shoulders, by the way, in that the shot with Luke and Travis, what everybody's got like a water bottle hanging over the, is that supposed to be like oxygen or? Yeah, that's that's what I figure. Either that or, or, or oxygen. I don't know. Yeah. Really odd. And again, I just I have to wonder if Al Williamson is not inking this stuff. Going, my God, I can't stand it. Mm. Because I mean, his Vader is so glorious. His, you know, the Vader that Al Williamson does on his own is just amazing. And then to have to draw this Vader, it's kind of yeah. And his three PO is stunning, and yet. He's having to draw this three PO. It's just got it's got a grind on him unless he's just going. Yep, paycheck. Here you go. Here are your pages. And then you've got the the maximum overdrive homing droid that's got like the the teeth and 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 yeah. eyes on it and everything. I'm just kind of like, like a little piranha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just like, it's funny how like this is. I mean, you know, I, I know the true climax of Star Wars is the the Death Star assault on the Death Star, right? But I, I kind of feel like this goofy scene with the the homing droid like that's the climax of the story from the droids point of view because yes, i mean yeah, this the, is their the droids it kind of is this yeah. arch nemesis if this homing droid had destroyed the power generator it's almost like it's it's like that that they took a a a, 
a cue from Empire Strikes Back, you know, how they, they blew up the power generator and then they could assault the Hoth base. It's like if this homing droid had blown up the power generator, they would have assaulted Yavin 4 and it wouldn't have mattered. Like, like they would have all been yeah. done for before they even launched the first X-Wing fighter to attack the Death Star. So it's like this, this is this kind of retroactively like, you know, they, 3PO and R2 here are if they hadn't done what they did here, then the the entire movie would have been over with. The homing beacon, by the way, is a Roomba gun. <laughs> no doubt. A Roomba with, a Roomba with mm-hmm. missiles and, and acid. Yeah, and, so Jake's gone wow. very, very, very wrong. It's a very evil and Roomba. It's, its catchphrase is apparently Earth Durf, like if you notice yes. on the one panel. Yes. <laughs> Earth, nerf. <laughs> you fear nerf. fear the earth derf uh it, yeah it's like fear the beast called homing beacon it will earth derf you and your children <laughs> you know <laughs> it's just like but you know luckily they 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 slant like that, i mean and that's pretty i mean it's like the 3po can't physically i mean he tries right he try. it's kind of funny 3po's doing like the can can on this uh on this droid ever trying to kick it away but i mean he, he doesn't really affect it that much but luckily when they they slam the doors on them i mean i i think even though this is somewhat cartoony where they have like you know r2 doing the the money spin on the tuscan raider or whatever it's like the the way they finally dispatch that droid it's pretty realistic i mean to me i'm like okay they slammed it between the doors right like that that could happen yeah it would have really ticked me off if he'd defeated him through hand-to-hand combat because that's just not what i'm into 3po, <laughs> 3PO turns into yeah. uh what is it three th- what three wait c3px right and becomes like a three p- badass bounty hunter and like just like zaps yeah. him to death or whatever or, or you could just say he's three he's c3po'd yeah <laughs> uh, uh. and then they go to the death star battle and just completely write the droids out of but even though this is supposed to be their perspective. Yeah, yeah, which again... Oh, by the way. Yeah, that's that's pretty odd. And then Luke's helmet is, is pretty odd, too, I guess. Yeah, it it's like he's low light from G.I. Joe or sci-fi or I don't know what. <laughs> like, I was just like, what what's going on with that helmet, bro? Like, <laughs> and this is, by the way, this was something interesting. As I was doing a reread, I I was really going through it going, did they even reference the film at all? Because the art's not really consistent with the film and the the story beats are kind of there but dialogue wise and then finally in like the third issue they start actually using real dialogue from the film well like yeah, like not extensively but fine my 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 final note is the the on page 18 like panel one and two i was like dude like yeah. like hasbro get on it because look at those tie fighter pilots those are totally yeah, original like, like you you can you can make some money off this hasbro <laughs> like they they look nothing like the they're not on model as far as tie fighter pilots go so you could totally no. you could totally make the droids version of tie fighter pilots i'll tell you what they've got to me is they've got kind of a micronaut vibe oh them. yeah yeah i can see that yeah but yeah i'd i'd uh, i would take one of those i think you know if you're if you're out there mining obscure figures let's do it i mean it's kind of like what what was that one when they made those those expanded universe figures the the i think it came from like the i want to say it was like like zero g troopers or something yeah or like there there was some kind of like did it come from like the dark forces video game or something they made some troopers from there yeah i'm thinking it was like the zero g troopers yeah you're you're probably right because i just i don't remember the name of it but i if i saw it i would have been like oh those kind of remind me of that 
that figure pretty much like that they, they, they kind of have a flat i i assume because of the way they're sort of white and light blue that they're intended to be like sort of silver looking or whatever but that that was just my take on yeah, it you know makes sense makes sense but yeah i mean ultimately like you said i mean it kind of somehow gets away from the droids until the very end and and it kind of mm-hmm. concludes and i mean that's i mean for for me that's i mean that's kind of all i have i mean i i think I don't know. Sometimes I always have to ask myself, like, I, I don't know that this is going to go into the hallowed halls as, like, the, the greatest Star Wars comic ever. I, I kind of recognize that my <laughs> appreciation for these is based on nostalgia, is based on the fact that sure. I, I, you know, I, I can point to these as some of the earliest, you know, Star Wars type comics that I stumbled into, you know, outside of some of those Marvel ones that I mentioned, you know, and so, like, that's, mm-hmm. that, that's basically Sam's you know, that's where my appreciation stems from. And I, I can recognize that. Like, I can recognize if somebody, I don't know, read this today on Marvel Unlimited, they kind of go, oh, what are you talking about? This ain't so great. But, you know, like, <laughs> but but for me, like, I, I do still, you know, I have I had a fun time revisiting this. And I, and like I said, I figured, mm-hmm. you know, you, you would be, quote, unquote, Star Wars friendly to it. You know, so, like, that's why I was like, oh, this is going to be a lot of fun. And I, I uh, dude, I had a book about this with you. So this is, this is awesome. Oh, yeah. No, you know. What I will say is I really feel like a hypocrite on this because, you know, Star the Lucasfilm put out that Star Wars, was it Galaxy Adventures or whatever it is? Galaxy, what is it? Galaxy of, Galaxy of something. The new cartoons where they take the audio from the films and. Oh, okay. Okay. Is that, is that the one where they kind of look, they kind of look like, like anime looking or something or. Yeah. Yeah. Galaxy of Adventures is what it's called. And I, I hate it. I loathe it. I despise it. And yet. If this isn't almost the same type thing, mm. and yet I and yet I have a lot of fun with this, so I feel I do feel a little bit like a hypocrite, but I do I enjoy, it. and a lot of it probably is the nostalgia button. A lot, a lot of it is revisiting that droid series, which I really, really, really enjoy. Yeah, I I, I feel like it's a shame because it seemed like because the toys, the Kenner toys of droids didn't sell as well as the Ewok ones. The Ewoks got a second uh, season, and droids didn't. But I I I mean, and this yeah. is no. I'm I'm not trying to knock the Ewoks or anything, but I mean I preferred and and liked the Droids cartoon more. You know that was me. Oh, I'm not that series. I'm not that. I don't knock Ewoks. Period. Yeah, I'm not one yeah. of those you know Ewok haters. But I will tell you in a raging heartbeat, I did not care for that animated series. Mm, okay. And I love the Droid series. I I was almost kind of feeling like like when I was when I was revisiting some of those cartoons. Like I, I haven't seen too much of it, but I saw some of that leaked Star Wars Celebration Mandalorian footage, and I was almost like wondering. I don't know why. Like I, you know, just because there's so much bounty hunter involvement in that animated series. You know, you got Boba Fett and IG88 and everything, and I was just kind of like, wow. Like you know, th- uh, you know, th- like something like that, like an ongoing narrative where you can focus on droids and bounty hunters like every week. Like that might. I don't know that that might turn out to be really cool. I don't know, but yeah. No, I'd I'd be all in for it. And yeah, a lot of the Mandalorian footage does kind of put, put me in the mood of of animated Star Wars, just because there are so many little references to the, the uh, Novana cartoon that was in the holiday yeah, special. Yeah. It's like I I guess that's one of those things where like you run into not not that I want these or anything, but it's like I do I do see and admire where I'm like oh a Hot Toys version of Boba Fett in the Novana colors. Like I was like oh that's kind of 
I was like, that's kind of cool. Like, like I, I, you know, I, it was like, I don't, yeah. I don't want it, but I think that's that, that narrow area of the dartboard where you throw that dart and you'll get a, you'll get a happy response from me, you know? So I was like, oh, that's pretty sweet, dude. I, I like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, well, thank you again for doing this. Do you like, do you want to tell the listeners like, is, are there places where they can find you out there on the interwebs? Are there any things out there that you want to like, you know, pin, propagate, promote like type, type thing? You know, if you guys want to, I'm still trying to crank away at my star Wars story. I'm getting about an episode every nine months done. So, but it's out there and it's also my star Wars I also, um, <clears throat> thanks to, so, actions taken by george lucas and or not george lucasfilm uh i went and bought the domain our star wars stories.com and linked it to the uh my star wars stories site and so you can get that i'm on twitter at my star wars story and at rife and if you just want to see me ramble about nothing you've decided to go to a nearby restaurant you ask the hostess to seat you in a booth as you sit you notice an animated conversation among the four seated behind you They're talking about Star Wars and Doctor Who and something called the Laugh Olympics. These are the people you used to pants in high school, and yet you cannot help listening. Unable to tear your ears away, you realize you've just been sucked into the Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks, weekly at twotruefreaks.com. And that's kind of it. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, this is going to wrap up our episode for tonight. So good night, everybody. This has been Derek, Derek WC. And, of course, you know, you can find us at fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. If you have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can reach us at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. And in addition to the Fanholes Proper Podcast, we've got all kinds of other spinoff shows. So consider checking those out. And, yeah. All right. Take care, guys. Wait. Fan holes? I thought this was the Fortress of Bailey. (laughs) What happened? Somebody call my agent. Awesome. You know, you get Ron on, but not me. That's fine. Whatever. Well, that's, that's, that's part of the, the, um, well, cause I, I, well, this is, this is part (laughs) of my, this is part of my intro to the show. So I might, I might go into it on the show, but my, my take on it was the, I, I am very, how should I put it in, in my head, I'm very methodical about like why I ask somebody on like I feel like it's when you get someone a present like I don't just want to get you any old thing like I, yeah. I I put thought into like like oh 
I want this guest for this particular topic, and this is how it's meaningful nice. to me. And I believe, you know, I mean, my intent is that it's going to be as equally meaningful for them. And and I kind of got the the vibe from the conversations you sometimes had with Ron. Like Ron seemed to be the the tokusatsu friendly person, so that's why Absolutely. he was invited yes. on that show. Do you know what I mean? Whereas it's like yeah. you, you don't want to like it's like you, you don't want somebody who who doesn't have any joy for that kind of material to come on and just you know <laughs> rip it a new asshole. You want somebody who like likes sure. it and stuff. I mean, I suppose yeah. it, I suppose that would be a feather in my cap if like I showed you something and you're like, hey, that was pretty awesome. But you know, I, yeah. I maybe I don't want to risk it. You know, I don't know. I'm look. I'm a guy. I actually. Uh... When Bialanti came out for the first time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, buddy of mine brought it back from Japan, so we sat and watched it undubbed. Awesome, awesome. Uh, yeah, but the thing is, like, a lot of the characters speak English in the film, but, th- like, the English is horrible. Yeah, yeah. And well, so it's, that's, it's, yeah. you know, that was a source of great entertainment right there, to tell you the truth. Because <laughs> it's just like, the, and that's we always have the line and i want you make sure that the japan does not produce any more of that is that is, wait because i i remember when they had the the cut russian scenes you know you know what you'd love is, is if you love that yeah. i should i should show you because because the the show that we're drawn on because we were doing the podcast on it is a show called common rider gaim and at some point there's yeah. like these kind of shadowy government figures and i'm trying to remember what countries it is but i think it's like supposed to be a conglomeration of like china france and england or something like that but they all speak like it's like they're all trying to speak english and it's like all these actors who let's just say english is not their native first born language right and and so so it's like again like hilarity hilarity ensues when when it comes to their exchanges you know it's like you you would prefer to just kind of like close your ears and go la 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 and like read the subtitles but you can't you know that's that's kind of how that goes down and and normally like that show i think is is an excellent show but it's just it's just those moments are kind of funny and, and you can't weird. tear your ears away from it. yeah yeah exactly that's so pity. the question should be how are you gonna take responsibility for this Whatever. Get a reporter. You're not going to escape from our investigation. Oh, quite. 